Here at Making Movies is Hard, we want to express our support for the writer strike. We encourage our filmmaker comrades to look into how best they can be allies for the good fight. Please go to WGACONTRACT2023.org to support the cause. Making movies is hard, but casting for your movie doesn't have to be. With Casting Calls America, you can post your open roles for free in over 30 local markets nationwide. And when you post your roles, they will automatically post to IMDb Pro to get even more eyes on your project. All actor submissions are delivered to your user-friendly dashboard, making your casting process easy. You can even search our actor databases and invite actors you're interested in to audition to your project. Actors pay a small monthly fee and have all open roles delivered to their inbox each day. Get your project started today. It's casting made easy at castingcallsamerica.com. You know, making movies is hard. Making movies is hard. Welcome. This is the podcast about the struggle of being an independent filmmaker. I'm Mark Bissell, the founding host of the podcast. I'm a sci-fi horror filmmaker, and my first feature film, The Alternate, is out now on digital and Tubi. I'm Liz Manichel. I'm a writer, director, producer who's made two features and is currently in development on five million more, but I'm focusing on a horror comedy called Best Friends Forever. I'm a distribution consultant who used to manage the Creative Distribution Initiative, and I do sales. This week, we welcome producer and director Sylvia Kaminer on the show to talk about directing her latest feature, Follow Her, and her impressive producing and directing career, starting out as a PA and working her way up. After that, we play another round of The Game. But first, Ulrich, how are you? I'm okay. A little overwhelmed at the moment. Work is like insane on all fronts. Getting phone calls left and right and being asked one meetings and this and that and everything and it's very overwhelming but i'm doing okay other than that i'm doing okay also i was sick over the weekend which wasn't the best you know my wife too so we were both sick over the holiday weekend which was kind of a bummer (laughs) but but you know we still had fun and yeah i've been riding a little bit a little less than last week but still sticking to it so that feels good and yeah reading scripts I read a really good script, and then I'm reading a script that's okay, and then I'm reading another one that's, like, not even a script. It's, like, an outline, um, which is fine. It's cool, but, like, it's, it's like, it was written by a comic book artist, so it's sort of, like, there's there's no, like, format that makes sense. I mean, he you know, he's got it in, like, the dialogue and the scene, you know, bullets and all that stuff, but, like... It's just like, you know, you, you basically start a scene and like they just tell you things. It's like, he's got superpowers. It's like, wait, what? That doesn't work. You can't just say that. You have to show it. Show, not tell. Come on. Anyways, it, it's so it's been uh, it's been a lot going on, but I'm surviving. You know, I'm also just like, I think, getting a little bit more and more and more excited about my son being born. And waiting for that, that whole thing happening is going to be insane. I don't know. I guess this frantic, haphazard description of my event my life right now is probably pretty fitting for how i'm feeling yes how are you doing this i'm just thinking about that feeling of overwhelm you're having and how like part of me really really loves that feeling because (laughs) when you're out of that zone of productivity you feel really accomplished you're like i was hit with so much and i achieved so much and i i just feel really satisfied (laughs) when I get a lot of things done. So think of that. Think of all that feeling of satisfaction you're going to have in just like a few hours. All right, you're going to feel so good, right? I hope so. I hope so. I hope yeah. I feel good in a few hours. You That'll may not feel nice. good right now, though. I agree. I understand. It just feels overwhelming right now. And it just feels sucky. like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> 
But yeah, I think the 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 screaming, the feel, the feeling of like everyone screaming at me will go away soon. Although people aren't actually <laughs> screaming at me, but that's how it feels. Just inside. feels like it, like caps lock exclamation point. Exactly, and my internet's not working on top of everything else, which is wonderful. <laughs> so I'm using my hotspot right now. It's like it's like the the greatest cherry on top of a shitstorm is like the internet, like <laughs> being wonky. Like, oh god, really? Right now? Uh, okay, fine. Well, I just feel really pregnant. That's my main comment for right now. But it's not bad. It's like this. It's cool. It's like, oh, this thing is really uncomfortable. But like, she's with me right now. And I kind of enjoy that. I want her to she's like safer with me than without me at the moment. So I'm I want her to stay in there. Other than (laughs) that, I'm just really I created a spreadsheet of rejections today because I decided just to go balls to the wall in celebrating rejections. And so I have and then I, I went and I thought, wow, Liz, you're a masochist. Why don't you do a tab for acceptances too, just to make yourself have some sort of bright, shining light. And so I did a small tab for acceptances. But what I'm trying to do is I run this group called Film Festival Notifications. And when you get rejected by a film festival, we do like a little dance party for you usually in GIFs. Just have like you celebrate the rejection. And so mm. I'm trying to get to... I think there's a lot of people who do this, like a hundred rejections on a certain project. And so I have like maybe six right now. And I want to just, I want to know that I stuck my neck out over and over again. And I want to see a hundred rejections to know that I really tried my best with this latest mm. project, Best Friends Forever. So that's mm. what I'm working on is collecting my rejections, which is not like a fun activity as I thought it would be. <laughs> it's actually a downer, but but I, I'm going to get to a hundred, I'll reckon. That's my main focus. Are these just rejections on my Best Friends Forever or are these rejections from other things too? Like what's on this spreadsheet? This is just Best Friends Forever. So my latest feature rejections and they're mainly like this investor said no and then I have a tab that says what leads were generated from the rejection and I you know they Mm. said no but they are hoping to me coming back to them with other projects so it's it's not as dark as it seems though I like to tell the story that it's a spreadsheet of rejections but really it's a spreadsheet of like progress Mm. and how can I look at it differently right yeah, you're like tracking your meetings and like, yeah, you know, I mean, you call it tracking your rejections, but it's really just tracking like the people that you've made connections with. And yeah, yeah, it's very healthy and good. I did that too on the alternate. I had a little spreadsheet. But it's funnier to call it the spreadsheet of rejections. <laughs> well, I thought that you'd like gone through everything that you've ever been rejected by and you just like no. were like <laughs> going through old projects and being like, okay, yeah, so I got rejected from this film festival. I got rejected from that film festival. And just like making a humongous list of all your rejections because like that would be... That's masochistic. That's just like you're torturing yourself. Yeah, no, we're not that bad. I do that. I do it per project internally, though, for sure. (laughs) So this is the first time I pointed it out loud. I just know my rejections. I just know that like I've been rejected by so-and-so film festival every single time I've submitted to so-and-so film festival. Right. You've kind of accounted for it mentally. It's it's internal, internal rejection list. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I I do that a lot. But do you know what's not an internal rejection list? Mm. Our Patreon campaign, because a lot of people are supporting us, and it's actually really wonderful. We want to wish a happy birthday to Tyler Mendelson, who is our latest pa- latest Patreon backer. And Tyler went to patreon.com slash podcast 
to support the show. And Tyler says, happy to help the show out. It's my favorite podcast. I don't mind a simple shout out, nothing special. I'm just happy to help out the show. Tyler's a filmmaker and they're currently developing two features, including his, sorry, I don't know if Tyler's a girl or a boy, so I'm just avoiding all pronouns, including their first. (laughs) And they say the podcast definitely has helped me with some valuable insight. Oh, God. And I, oh, I, I want to retract it, but Jeff could keep this in. There's more than just a girl and a boy. Tyler could be whatever Tyler wants to be. Oh, my gosh. I'm so sorry. <laughs> You're going straight to hell, Liz. You are going go to straight hell. to hell. How dare Ty- you? Everyone's a thing. Everyone could be on the spectrum. Everything's okay. Express yourself, Tyler. On a recent episode, this Tyler goes on to say, in a recent episode, I think I heard you guys mention wanting people to send you their short films. So I want to share my most popular one. I'm a veteran and I've done a lot of military slash veteran related stories. Hope you enjoy. They include the link to their short film, The Hun, which is a World War I short film that has over 2 million hits in five years. Tyler, you kick butt. That was awesome. Good job. Yeah, great, great, great job, Tyler. Fantastic. And I'm I'm like 90% sure that Tyler is a man based off Tyler's photo, but could be wrong. Could be wrong. So I guess we shouldn't, you know, judge or, you know, Whatever Tyler wants to be. Whatever. Whatever. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. But we really, really appreciate the support. Thank you so much, Tyler. You are the greatest. Don't forget to check out BitChambox.io, which is our new royalty-free music and SFX company with an emphasis on high-quality cinematic cues. Their composers have worked on soundtracks for Hollywood-level films, working with directors like Michael Bay, Martin Scorsese, global brands like DJI. They offer customized plans to fit your needs. And without any more delay, here's our chat with Sylvia Kaminer. We are here today with Sylvia Kaminer. Thank you so much for being on the show. Sylvia, welcome. Thank you. It's so nice to be here. I'm thrilled to be a part of the show. Give us the elevator pitch for your film, Follow Her. Okay, so it's about a young woman who's finding her value and kind of trying to get claim on social media. She's a wannabe, you know, starting actress. What she relies on is finding the wackiest online jobs and she'll go with hidden cameras and not let anyone know that she's filming. And she kind of takes some unusual jobs and she gets hired to help a writer write the ending of a film. And he's not at all what he seems. He's a very good looking Australian man. She follows him to a cabin in the woods and things go to shit. (laughs) How many days did you shoot? So we shot in kind of two sections. The first section was about 12 days. And then the next section, we kind of did three days and another three days. So we did 18 days and probably about three days of second unit. If you can say, what was the rough budget of the film? I can say it's between 500 and a million. Yeah. That's just enough information. Thank you. Yeah. 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 I know. I tried to be a little specific. (laughs) I appreciate that. We get a lot of pushback. How was this project brought to you or how did, what do you know about the origin of the idea and your original involvement as well? Well, it's kind of funny. So a dear friend and mentor of mine, a guy, a kind of a legend in New York City, John Gallagher, He's produced and directed a bunch of indie films. He's taught a lot of actors and given a lot of people a break. I did my first producing work with him and he met Danny and she sent him the script and he couldn't do it. And he kind of said, oh, I think you really need a woman for this. So when I got the script, it was called a killer script. And I got it with the understanding that it was fully funded. (laughs) So I read it thinking, holy shit, this script is funding. They, you know, I'm here to consider directing it. So I 
read it with those eyes, but I did love the story. <laughs> it's, it, it's clever. It drew me in. And after I was already sucked in, I friggin' found out that it was not quite funded or at least, you know, a micro budget, which that's, I, I've been in the business a little too long to not pay people. I, I wish I was better at making things for a hundred K, but you know, so that's kind of how it came to me. And then I, I worked with Danny Barker who wrote the script and it's loosely based on some crazy stuff she's done in her past. She had a YouTube show where she took wacky jobs and filmed them secretly. She didn't ever really feel her life was in jeopardy, but you know, we started working on it. We both kind of took a leap of faith because this was her first starring role and it was my first job as a fiction director. So we both kind of were like, okay, because, <laughs> you know, for me, it's like, oh my God, if my star is not brilliant, I'm so screwed. And for her, she's like, this is my first film and I need a good director. So it kind of went from there. How long did you spend working on the film from first reading the script to it coming out? Years. Five. Wow. Yeah, about five. So we spent about almost a year workshopping the script. And then I brought Judy Henderson, a dear friend who I've made a lot of films with, the casting director in New York. And that was kind of we didn't have all the budget. We had a, a chunk, but we thought, ah, let's try to get a name attached. And we didn't get the, the first few names we went after. And in some ways, I'm kind of glad we didn't because the name, the actor we got to play the lead, Luke Cook, I don't think any of them would have been as good. You know, he's just such a brilliant actor. And so, you know, then we went into production and we shot the first bit in 2019. And then a year later, we shot the rest of it in 2020. And we literally finished filming when COVID shut everything down. Like we wow. wrapped filming like a week before. And then, you know, we did hold the film back for about 10 months. Our reps, our producer reps kind of wanted to wait until festivals opened up again. I'll never know if that was the right decision. <laughs> but... <laughs> Just a, just as a quick aside, I mean, I shot exact same time that you did for my first feature and we didn't wait for 10 months. Like we pushed it out like at the end of, I guess the beginning of 2020, Yeah, that festival season. And I wish I would have waited. Oh, okay. yeah. I think waiting would have been better yeah. for a variety of reasons. So yeah. anyways, we were going to come out 2021, that festival, April, and we literally came out exactly a year later. Wow. Grass is always greener. You never know. Yeah. Yeah. If you could change one thing about the film in any way, what would it be? So about the process or the or the actual the way it came out? Anything. Yeah, it's completely oh, open-ended. Boy, that there's so many things. You know, I'm one of those filmmakers who when at any time I sit in the audience, I wish all I keep thinking is I wish we had more time. So I would ha add a day, <laughs> even though we didn't have we didn't shoot the movie in 10 days, I would have tried to add another half a day at least to 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 the end of the barn, to the end of the stuff we did with Luke. And then I I would maybe not wait. But although I, no, I take that back. I had the best year of my life last year, traveling the world, going to three continents, like just having the most amazing time going to festivals. So I take that back. I think just trying to get a little more time, figuring out how to have a little more time on set for filming. Nice. So I want to hear about what you did. So you 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 fell in love with the script. You're like, yes, this movie is funded. I get to make my movie. This is amazing. And then you find out there's no money. Right. What do you do then? Like, or not enough money. Yeah, right. Yeah, not enough yeah, money. Right. To Danny's credit, she did come in with a chunk, but it was you know like a hundred and you know it was under two hundred, and we spent a lot on on visual effects. There's like over two hundred, and we I I knew I knew the film especially because it's very youth driven. It's kind of like I'd say our our hot spot is like seventeen to thirty, and we I I just knew we couldn't chintz on visual effects. 
and that it was going to be so important. So I, you know, I just knew I wanted a budget. I wanted Luke Geisbuehler to shoot this, who's a brilliant DP. And so we just started reaching out. Some of the people I'd worked with in the past, I went back to, and and they managed to give us chunks of money. We we did a crowdfund where people actually become investors. I don't know if you guys are familiar with WeFunder. Mm-hmm. Boy, is yeah. that a lot of work. Oh, holy goodness. <laughs> I mean, we, we raised maybe 65K that way, but we raised that more for in the second leg of film. Like Mm. we basically raised enough to shoot those 12 days because Luke was about to come out on the Netflix Sabrina, you know, the reboot. I always forget what it's called. And we're like, oh, we the chilling adventure. Right. Yeah. Yeah. As the Dark Lord. And he became very popular. So, yeah, he's he was pretty great in that show. So we knew we wanted to get him while we could. Can I get a little bit of clarity, though? I think I may be messing up the timeline in my mind because you had a certain amount of money. But it also sounds like you shot and fundraised at the same time. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. So we raised enough to shoot in 2019 in March. Then I make a living shooting a PBS travel series that helps my living. And so I was off shooting that while we were raising money. And then we knew we were going to come back in 2020. So we raised money over those next nine months to get the rest of it done. And that was for like pose for the visual effects, but you had it for in the, the second camp. leg of shooting. No, oh, we got did. it. We only had got it. about 65%. We shot about, it was a little scary. And as someone who's been in the business a while, I was like, oh God, we're, we're spending people's money and we're only going to have 50 minutes in the can. We don't have a movie and we're walking away. It was, I'd never in my life done that. And, but I was like, you know what, at some point you have to make your movie and I don't regret it because we'd still be waiting probably you know you have to just you know we would always say we're either jumping off the cliff or we're waiting and we're not getting this done so we decided like we're jumping off the cliff and you know we figured we could maybe raise money with that leg which is what helped we put you know a, a really good teaser kind of of that footage together yeah yeah I want to know about your you know move from a doc filmmaker to doing your first narrative feature like what was that like like and what did you bring from your doc experience experience into your process as a narrative director? Well, I think, you know, I'm really happy that. So I started as a stage director. So I good thing is that like, I was comfortable working with actors and thinking about beats and blocking because I feel like I might have been a bit terrified (laughs) if I'd only ever done documentaries and not worked, you know, really close with actors. But I think what I brought from the doc background is just that investigative digging into a subject because I suck at social media. I have forced myself to get better, but at times I would laugh and, and say, how do I have any right to make a social media movie? Like, you know, <laughs> I'm not really on Twitter. I'm not really on Instagram. I, I wish it would go away, but I, I'm also, I get it and I'm not opposed to it. I just know that for me, I would rather take those hours a day and put them towards something else. So I think though, having the doc background, I felt like, you know what? I didn't know anything about Tanzania and I went off and shot a movie there. So you can kind of embed yourself in a story. And so I kind of dug in a little bit about the obsession of, you know, stardom on social media and trying to think about platforms. And so I really think as filmmakers, even if it's fiction, embed yourself in the story. You know, for me, that's gave me the confidence and kind of it excited me because I felt like I love I love movies that have something to say. Not that I wouldn't just take a glorified fun romp, but I felt like this was a cautionary tale. So it was a little more it had a, you know, it was a harsh, more psychological horror thriller, but with a little warning, which I which I kind of dug. Well, I don't know if you previously sucked at social media, but since you've certainly taken to it, Sylvia, because I believe that we are following each other on like three different accounts. So <laughs> kudos to you. I know. 
yeah, I found you all. <laughs> I forced myself. I would have such anxiety. Like I'd be like, oh my God, I have to post. And it would just stress me out. And then now I'm just like, ah, I comment on stuff. I say stupid stuff. I'm like, who cares? Just nobody's really, right? right? Nobody's That's really the way to get through like, it. Why did she say that? Nobody no one cares. cares. No one cares. I'd love to hear just uh, not to pounce on the fundraising thing, but it's a topic yeah. that like all of us are incredibly 100%. curious about. And that presumption of cast helping fundraising, I think we all have that presumption. And sometimes it's proven true and sometimes it's proven otherwise. Did the names help your financing or was it a completely different scenario for you? I would say, you know, Luke helped a little bit because he was at that point, he, he was like 25 on IMDb for a little while. So you can believe that we took that photo and that was right wow. in our press kit, our pitch deck. And that definitely probably helped a bit, maybe with one of our executive producers, Chris Gaunt, who tried to help us get the word out. But, you know, the names we initially went for would have, it would have become a different movie. And then, you know, we got like Mark Moses, but he came in very late. So we couldn't really take, and people, he might not be a name you know by name, but everyone knows his face. He was in Mad Men and he's, he's very recognizable, but no, not really. You know, that's the dream, right? I mean, we all want, you know, you get that one name and they're throwing millions at you. <laughs> but doesn't rarely, rarely happen. So I was, I'm going to switch gears a little bit here. I was looking at your IMDb and you're a very prolific producer of narrative features, shows, shorts, yeah. what have you. So can you talk about that a little bit? Like, how'd you get your start as a producer and, you know, what led from that into doing doc and not, and why didn't you just ever go into narrative directing before the doc? Yeah. So, you know, right out of school, I kind of decided I had never been on a film set and I was just like, "Ah, I just got to do it. And so I managed to, I was directing a play off Broadway and the two actors got cast in a film. And so I just jumped on and became the second, second AD. I didn't even know what that meant. But that led to meeting, you know, a key PA or two. And so then I, I was crazy back then. Like, you know, if I saw a film set, I would just go. I would just be like, let me out of the van if it, we'd worked all night. Like this happened literally one night. We worked all night on this film called Lucky Stiffs. Didn't see the light of day, but you know, it's like seven in the morning. Everyone's got going home and we're passing a big film. So I'm like, get, let me out. They're like, what are you talking about? You, you haven't slept. I'm like, and we're working that day, you know, so I had 10 hours to sleep and I said, nope, I'm getting out. And I met a PA I had hired on this film on the set. And he ended up introducing me to the second AD. And it's probably not enough time for that story, but it's this crazy story that it just shows. And I don't know, I don't know how aggressive, you know, people are starting today, but I was very much a go-getter. Like I spent like three hours on that set waiting for a minute to talk to someone to give him my little, you know, crazy business card, but it worked. And so I started PAing. I, I PAed on a Bronx sale. I was in charge of extras and oh, wow. way and age of innocence. Wow. Like, Scorsese, my business card. I mean, like, but it worked. And then 10 months later, I produced my first film. Wow. Yeah. And uh, I never stopped. I never had to take another job. I just kept working in the industry. And for 20 plus years, I, yeah, it's been just hustle, hustle to, <laughs> to make a living at it. But it's, you got to be aggressive. There are other topics that are probably better segues from this one, but I can't help but bring up Rick Springfield because <laughs> I really like him. And um, I just wanted to hear how you got involved with that project, if that's all right. Yes, it's a funny story. So I liked Rick Springfield as a kid. You know, I saw him on General Hospital. And so I had a friend when I moved to Florida. I didn't know anybody here. And somehow I was introduced to Melanie Lentz-Janney and she was one of these diehard fans. And she had a son that she named Dre 
take after his character on on General Hospital. And so I I found myself at Universal Studios in Florida at a Rick Springfield concert. She got me on the guest list. And it turns out VH1 was filming the concert. And all I kept thinking was like, oh, my God, I'm going to be seen at a Rick Springfield concert because <laughs> I didn't understand that he was at that time. I'm like, oh, this is so embarrassing. And then I literally fell in love with him. And I was like, I was like a teenager again. And I looked around and the women mostly, you know, 40 to mid to late 50s, but also men and also their kids and even young kids were transported to a time of happiness. And like, and I was like, oh my God, there's something so magical about this. This is their community. And we all need a community. And I didn't feel like I wanted to make fun of them or I was just like, oh my God, this is magic. And so I spoke to Molly. I was like, this is a movie. And boy, and Rick, Rick is so gracious and he rocked harder, looked better than I remembered. And we approached him. And when I told him the vision, you know, which is this is one of those rare times when your vision literally is the final movie. But he was open to it. And that was such that was probably one of the best 10 months of my life. So fun. We traveled the world with Rick and meeting his fans. And it's a it's very much about that special bond. So that was great fun. Great fun. Yeah. And was that right after your first documentary that you directed? It, it was. I was in post-production. I tend to do better when I've got like too much on the plate than rather than too little. <laughs> I don't know if you guys, you guys sound like you're kind of that way. Like you, you have yes. to have like six things, right? I if fail when I'm not doing enough. I like me, fall me apart. Too. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You guys always sound like you have like eight things. happening. So <laughs> I was in post-production raising money for the Tanzania doc and and, and I I just, that's my problem though, is that I try to do too much. I can't say no. Like if there's a, so when this idea came, I was like, oh, hell yeah, I have to try to do it. And Melanie was like, are you kidding? Yes, let's do it. And, and then when Rick said, sure, it was just, that happened incredibly fast. Like, I think I saw him late summer. We came up with the idea by November. We spoke to him about it. We spent like New Year's Eve at one of his concerts, sitting with him after having a drink. And we were shooting by like February. And then we were raising money the whole shoot. <laughs> But it was, yeah. So, yeah. Oh, and I think you asked me about how I, why didn't I get into directing sooner or why? Yeah. Or yeah. Like, why did did you do like documentary instead of going straight into narrative since you already had like produced so many narrative movies before that? I know. I think, I think I had too lofty (laughs) a goal for directing. I think I felt like I, I, you know, I wanted money. I wanted, I mean, there was a script I'd written that I'd sent to like, of all people, I'd sent to Kate Winslet's agent and he loved it, but then he's like, oh, but she's not doing anything. And so I just, I got so caught up on that one film that I was just like, oh no, it's the exchange. That's my first film. And I need like 3 million and it's all this great cast. And so then the director's seat in the fic, in the nonfiction world felt more attainable to tell you the truth, as especially as a woman, you, you know, just felt easier because you can literally, I mean, we shot the Tanzania doc with three people. People. I went to Tanzania with my two camera people who I'd never met. I hired them on one of these, you know, sites. And yeah, so it just felt like an easier, an easier in. Well, but I'm curious about how do I phrase this? Producing shorts. Yeah. I also I want to ask about the utility. Like, have you seen that shorts have contributed to you or the director's career and fundamentally meaningful ways. And then, you know, it seems like you've produced a lot of fiction shorts. And then you kind of as a director have been more in the feature length sphere for documentary and fiction. But is what is the pull of shorts for you? Is it a job? Or do you see the utility? No, you know, it's funny, because I started the first film I produced was going to be a short and about 
a week into filming, we're like, oh my God, for an extra like 150K, we can make this into a feature. So we, you know, got shuttled off to go sit down with the financiers and we convinced them to do it. And then for the next few years, I, I was really focusing on features and I did a few music videos and one or two shorts, but I have not personally seen shorts do too much. Like I directed a TV pilot, which really didn't go anywhere. It was a, I, I still love it and wish it would, but that didn't really do anything. And I just directed a short I'm very proud of that's kind of more of a show, kind of a pitch piece for a feature version. It's based on a true story. So we'll see if that leads to anything. But I, I know other filmmakers. I don't know if you guys have had that experience that have gotten into Sundance or South by or one of those. I think that's where it makes a difference with a short is if you get into one of those major festivals, which I have never had the good fortune of, you know, quite of getting into. So going to follow her, you know, you got recommended by John Gallagher, who I've been, I've been snooping on your IMDb and I'm seeing that like, you know, you produced lots of movies for him that he directed yeah. and, and such. So I can see the bond and the, the relationship there. But like for Danny to be on board with like you being the director mm-hmm. of this feature, like what was it that convinced her? Was it just you as a person? Was it the fact that you had had so much experience producing movies or was it your doc work? Like what was it that allowed, like do you think that made her trust you enough to like take on the, the role of director on her feature? That's a good question. I think the fact that I did have years of experience in the business and maybe that I was very comfortable with actors and this was her first feature. She'd done kind of small parts on other people's films. And I think frankly, the fact that I was okay with her being the star when she had very little body of work for me to look at. Mm-hmm. So it was really that leap of faith that we both took on each other. I tell you the truth, I don't know that she even ever watched any of my doc features or the TV series I had done. I don't think so. I think it was all where I definitely dug into her work online and her that that kind of YouTube series. But yeah, I think it was just as women, we kind of hit it off and there was a trust. I think we both felt like, you know what? I think I can collaborate with this person. And we decided that we would be equal. You know, I would, of course, be able to break the tie regarding directing and she would on the script. But other than that, it was just like, we're both going to agree. I remember our lawyer was like, wait, wait, what? You guys are 50? (laughs) Are you insane? And we're like, no, I think it's going to be okay. (laughs) And it has been. So, yeah. (laughs) For your other directorial efforts, either ones that are in development now, ones that are coming in the future, ones that you've done in the past, including shorts, you know, this feature, how do you decide whether a project's right or not for you? Yeah. Well, you know, I read a ton of stuff. Like I had, there was a script that I had read before I'd gotten to Annie's that I tried to option. I missed it by like a week, but I've been reading so much stuff. I finally have decided that I really, I'm in the middle of adapting a novel. You do so much work on scripts, even if you didn't write them, that I'm kind of like, I got to start you know, writing them myself or at least every other or, you know, doing some of that. So I fell in love with, I was listening to a novel called, and then she vanished. It's a sci-fi time travel book and it's four books are out, two more coming. And then I was like, Oh my God, everyone wants IP. So I just reached out to the novelist on Instagram and now we are, here we are, we're writing the book into a screenplay and I'm crazy excited about it. I think it's, it's the biggest project I've worked on so far. And I, you know, I know my manager's waiting for the screenplay and I can't wait to get it out there. It's a bigger budget, you know? I mean, the first one isn't that expensive, but you know, it's really just kind of what, what connects to you because you know, you're going to spend, we all, we spend years on these projects. So like, I, I don't think I could just, I've read scripts where maybe we're ready to go, but they were just, I was like, oh, I can't spend three years of my life. It's just too dark or too, 
you know, I just can't imagine waking up every day working on this project. So that is part of it because at this point in my life, I'm, I think we should enjoy it. I think it should be fun. It's hard work, but we need to enjoy it. So, so a lot of it's, yeah, what, what, what seems marketable? What can I dig my teeth into? What won't I mind working on for years at a time? For the, for the book or the, the series of novels that you optioned, like, how did that work? Did you, just, you know, approach the writer and like kind of do it like directly one-on-one or did you get like, like your lawyer, their lawyer, like, and then what is the, did you have to pay up front for that? Or do you have like some sort of deal that like you split the profits? Like just break down how it all works for us. If you could. Sure. So I reached out on Instagram, took him about a week. I'm like, I'll never hear from him. I heard back and we started talking one-on-one to make sure that we had the same vision for what a screenplay would be. And the good thing is that he loved movies. He always wrote this thinking, oh gosh, I would love this to be a movie. And he had a manager. I have a manager, but I actually got like a lawyer involved to help write a very simple agreement where there was no money exchanged. I paid for the lawyer, but basically I you know, once we're done, which we're hoping to be done by the end of May, basically, I have a year to try to get it set up where I'm on the, you know, the force behind it, behind it, where I'm making the deal to produce and direct. But if I don't have a deal within a year, I am forever attached to the project because we wrote the screenplay together. Unless, of course, like they're like, oh, the screenplay sucks. Get rid of it. We're starting. Right. But I hope that doesn't happen. You know, so we I protected myself as best I could. But we want we were. Yeah, it was a very cordial. You know, we, we were like, let's look out for each other a little bit because we know we're going to put a lot of effort in and we're not getting paid to write this. So let's be, and we also want to, you know, get along through the process. So we were very careful with how we crafted it and we kept it simple. You know, it's like two pages, the agreement. Nice. At what point did the manager enter, like enter your world and how did you get representation? It wasn't easy. I mean, so the film played the Austin Film Festival and we won an audience award and, you know, we'd been, we'd won, you know, a stack of awards, but that was the one that happened to get his attention. And I'd spoken to a few managers, but yeah, his name is Mark Manitz. He's with a group called World Builder, World Builder Entertainment. And we just hit it off. I'm like, oh, we're very similar people. He seemed very ethical and passionate. And we just liked the same movies. And it just felt like, oh, I could work with this guy. We felt very similar in tone and everything. And so it's brand new. Like we're just, let's see how this year goes. And then I'll tell you how how it's been. But I have good, I have high hopes. I can have a quick follow up to that. And it's just that as a, as a writer director myself who doesn't regularly write, like I'm not writing specs, I'm not writing other scripts. And I just don't know if that's the type of writer director producer you are. Are you, was that a barrier or like, what was the pitch for you in representation if you're not necessarily focusing on writing full time in addition to directing? Mm-hmm. I think that was a hurdle, actually, because I don't write regularly. You know, I wrote the screenplay I mentioned previously about Caitlin's The Exchange. But other than that, I've written maybe one or two. I was hired to write a script. I don't know how, but like 10 years ago, which I want to get the rights back to. But yeah, no, I don't write regularly. That's one of the reasons I was like, you know what? I have to find a project I'm passionate about that I wouldn't mind writing. And it was I got really jazzed to to do it. So I, I really want to be one of those people that's writing nine months a year, every morning for a couple hours, just because I really enjoyed it. But I think it is easier to be a writer director, or at least, you know, uh, which kind of is what I think I fall into is like a director producer who tries to make their own projects, or at least, you know, I did with the docs and now kind of follow her became, you know, Dolger Films, my company, you know, but yeah, it's challenging. Getting representation is is really not easy. And and you think that when you met Mark, it, it was just the fact that he, he loved your movie and that you guys 
guys got along and that was the thing that kind of got you over the hump that you're not like trying to get into his writer's room and he's not going to be able to collect like a, a regular like check from you as a writer in that way. Yeah. So he hadn't even seen the film <laughs> when oh, he reached wow. out. We won that award and I think he read the reviews. Like, I don't know. I'm still shocked that the reviews the film has gotten. I mean, I like the movie, but you know, it's gotten better reviews than I would have imagined. But I think so he read the reviews and he saw that award. And, and so then I had to send him the link. I'm like, well, maybe he's going to hate the movie and that'll be the end of it. But he watched it and yeah, I, he, he understood that I wasn't a prolific writer that I wanted to, you you know, write, but you know, there's another script I'm developing that I didn't write that, you know, I'm working with a bigger kind of big producer on. So I think he just saw, you know, maybe he could even place me in some stuff, you know, in that, in the genre world, but I know that's really, really hard. And I do have, so I think he also saw that I have like two projects that soon he can set me up with meetings to try to, you know, go out and help get them set up. Nice. Yeah. If you hadn't won Austin Film Festival, was that on your bingo card for the year? Was try to find representation? Were you querying people? I mean, curious about whether you were on the pathway. It was. I mean, to tell you the truth, like I won a, which made no difference in my life in the slightest, but I won an Emmy award in like 10 years ago for a, for a travel series. I, did. I was like, oh, this didn't make one difference. It's still to this day wow. not made one difference in my life. I won it. I won another one a few years ago, not one difference. And I'm like, oh, okay. So back then I was like, okay, I, I think I sent out maybe three emails and I didn't hear back from one. I'm like, oh God, damn. You know, so I, I really, I was like, God, this is my first narrative feature. If I can't get a manager, like I live in Florida, like I live in such a like uncool state, you know, but it's, it's perfect for me because it allows me to just travel all over the world and have very modest, you know, overhead. And I have family that can watch the house and the cats and I'm single right now. So I need that, that help. But I, I chose early in my life not to go to LA life. Like I didn't want to live under someone's thumb or to me, I, I wanted my life to be enjoyable and make and not I, I feel like so many filmmakers after the first movie, they, they go to where the money is and they lose a little bit of their soul, maybe or what understanding the world around them. And so I know I knew for me, I, I didn't think I would it would be the best fit for me to like move to L.A. and do that hustle because or also I'm not I'm not a great networker. <laughs> so you know. That's not true, Sylvia. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> okay. I've heard like eight instances over the past 35 minutes of you being a great networker. I'm not going to let that slide. <laughs> oh, well, then I have to stop telling myself that. <laughs> yeah, you do. So one of the things that you said earlier really struck me, and it's something I've heard before from other people. You're talking about this movie that you wanted to make in a certain way this $3 million first feature, the exchange. I want to hear about like how you allowed yourself to let that go. And like, what made you push yourself forward to like get your directing career started and like let this project like not stand in your way anymore. So like how I moved past the exchange. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Cause a lot of people never move past it. Right. They, they oh just have God. thing forever, you yeah. know? No. I flew to London on a friggin' whim because a friend of mine had a friend who was doing makeup for Kate Winslet on a movie. And I'm like, I'm going and you're going to get me. And nothing happened. I sat in the apartment for days on end. But, and then I went, you know, yeah. Anyway, so I think, I think the, I think what happened is life happened. I think I, I, I went to Florida because my dad was sick and I left my life in New York behind the, 
I was planning to get married in New York. It was good. My dad was sick. I lost my apartment. And so I had like a refocus. I was really burnt out of the indie scene and travel has been a passion in my life. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to do my other passion. And so I started traveling. I went to Costa Rica and and then I reached out to a couple of companies, the two companies I could find in Florida. I was like, oh, I'd actually like to work for these guys doing travel stuff. And they both, they both, I got in touch with them and I ended up working for them. And that got me past, you know, I was kind of okay for a year or two not being in the indie film. I was like, oh my gosh, this is awesome. It's a group of eight of us. It's so creative. You can move when you want. You can, you know, if you want to change an idea, you just do it. There's not like radioing people and so that was really fun. But I always had, I mean, narrative is my first love. It's my greatest passion. If somebody said, what do you want to do next? It would be a narrative film. But that did, definitely helped. And then, you know, I got involved in feature docs because I felt like there's a real journey. And I'm so thankful that I started in the narrative world before I made a doc, because to me, it's all storytelling, whether it's fiction, nonfiction, travel, whatever you want to, you want a little arc, you want a hook, you want a story. So I think you can have that in, in all genres, nonfiction, you know, so I think that really helped kind of always thinking about storytelling. Yeah. For like normal people other than me, I think travel producing sounds like the most perfect job for like a normal human who has normal ambitions and joys and whims. <laughs> and so I'd be curious if that ever became like, I don't know what that expression is, but like a good, what is it, like a honey trap? That's probably the wrong expression for this conversation. But like, <laughs> but no, did you feel like it was difficult to leave such a wonderful job? No, because somehow, I mean, my God, I'm going to Israel in a couple of weeks. Like, and I'm going to New. I've spent six weeks in New Zealand, and, and yet I still left for like six years. I I focused much more on my feature docs. Like there was there was a section of time. Like I did like three series in a row in travel. But even when I was doing those, I wasn't the only director. So if I was working on a feature, I could say, you know, gosh, I can't do that. But keep me in mind for the next trip. So I was really fortunate. I think it was also because up front, I, everyone understood, oh, she's a filmmaker who loves travel as well and loves to tell stories and little, you know, and travel segments and stuff. And they were 30 minute shows. So it wasn't like we weren't going off for eight weeks at a time. You're typically going out for two weeks and then prepping for like two weeks. So, you know, they were chunks of time, but I didn't have to somehow I and I've thought about it sometimes. I don't know how I juggled it all, but I mean, I sometimes have double. I've been like, oh my God, I have three things booked at exactly the same time, but I'm not going to freak out about it. And it all, I mean, it all just worked out. I mean, even with my festival schedule, I'm like, oh my God, I'm like screening. I've promised the, the festival I'm going to be there. I'm supposed to leave for a shoot that day. How do I, you know, shove it a day? And somehow, somehow it's always juggled. But I could easily, like, I think filmmakers who get stuck in like the really lucrative commercial world, that would be a, because that, it's not like I have, I don't still have to hustle. You don't make that much money in travel shows. You know, you can make a living, but it's not like that commercial existence where, boy, that would be, you know, although I don't know about you guys, but I could care less about money. It's as long as I can pay my bills, feed, feed the cats, pay the bills and travel. You know, I don't care about fancy houses and, and I don't have kids. You guys both have kids. So my life is simpler. It's a kid's thing. I don't, I don't. I don't think either of us are like trying to live that luxury life. But I don't know. <laughs> no. yeah, yeah. I'd like to only make movies and I have to have a day job. But I mean, that's 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 pretty luxurious. So that's what I'm going after. That's my goal. But we'll see. One day, I wanted to hear a little bit about like you talked about narrative fe features or narrative work being your first love. And now that you've made your first narrative feature as a director, like do you feel different as an artist? 
Like, do you feel like you kind of like achieve something that like you've been going after for a while and now you're like at another level or is it kind of just like, all right, and I've done that now I want to do it again. Like what, what is, is, or is there no change? Like since you've made your, your feature, you know, I almost feel like I'll have to tell you in six months. I mean, it does feel good. It's, I, I feel like I wish it had come sooner that I'd made it happen sooner, but it does feel really good. And it was fun to go to the festivals, but I had fun going with my doc films were really fun too, but I'll tell you genre. And I don't, you guys probably know like how fun genre festivals are. Yeah. Yeah. They're the best audiences. They are ever, the greatest. Right? Don't you think? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So <laughs> I'll really know in six months or eight months. And to me, the big, the big test will be, can I get a project made easier? Is it going to take me? Like, I don't want to take three years raising money to make another film. I really don't. And I would like to, I don't want to make a film for less money. I'd like to make a film for more money, <laughs> but <laughs> I would make a film for the same again, if it was a good project, you know, but I don't, I want to try to, what I want to try to do is not say so much lateral. I would like to, even if it's a little tiny step up, you know, I'd like to, yeah. try to you know which the two projects i i'm trying to develop are like sizable steps up but they're not i don't think they're ridiculous i'm not like trying to make a 10 or 15 million dollar movie you know so yeah you know we'll see i know i know we're almost at the next section but i i mean you've worked with some very very famous incredibly talented actors as as a director and a, and as a producer and are you able to pull in some of those relationships for your next feature fiction projects? You know, possibly, possibly, because I did get along with everybody really well. You know, the shame is that, you know, not not that I have a project that she would have been right for, but Betty White was probably of all the really famous people I worked with. She was the most kind, most lovely. Yeah. Like almost you're like, wait, come on. That can't really be. You can't be that nice. Like and uh, and the funniest thing about about her was that this was a bigger film. It was probably like a seven and a half million dollar movie. It was with like 25 Teamsters and like a huge all the trucks that day. Every single Teamster came to work with a camera like and not just mm. their phones, because this was probably 10 years ago. Like some some of them came, like and I'm like, who's watching the trucks? Every single one wanted a picture with Betty. And she was so gracious. So, but yeah, I think some of them I probably could. I mean, hell, if I had a, a fun film for Rick, but I don't know how I, you know, what kind of film that would be. I don't know I mean, how much. I'm thinking would... Harvey Keitel is the main Oh, Harvey, one. I could totally. Yeah, yeah, no, Harvey, I could go to, but you need. Oh, uh, yeah. Sure. You still need the money. Even if you go to him, you still. You, oh, he'll be like, oh, yeah, somebody. I'd love to dance again, but, um, you know, yeah. Yeah. No, he's, he was awesome. That was the first call I had with him. What did he say? I was like, oh, my God, Harvey Keitel. He was like, yeah, it's kind of like we're going to flirt and see if we if we like each other and how we get along and i'm like oh my god i mean my one of my favorite movies like i'm such a scorsese like fan but of his early stuff like i mean i was like oh my god harvey Keitel, yeah so and reservoir dogs and so the, I, I remember oh. hanging up and i was like oh my gosh <laughs> so that was really fun so yeah i would love to work with him again yeah yeah i, I loved chris penn and another brilliant actor we lost way too because he was someone I I got along so solidly with, and this is something I would say to uh, to directors. I heard such nightmares about. They're like, oh my god! So I was like, oh no, we don't want to work with Chris Penn. He was a delight. He was an absolute dream. He was brilliant. He'd probably gone through a hard time, but I I think we have to be careful sometimes writing people off. Like I'd heard really rough things about Tom Berenger, and maybe he had a time where he was rough. And Buster Rhymes was probably the most polite actor. Oh, nice! Like unbelievably, yeah. We there's some crate you know yeah there's but so yeah it's, <laughs> it's been, it, people can surprise you 
People can definitely su- surprise you. Yeah, Rita Moreno was a dream, and I'd love to work with her again. Yeah. You know, Ben Gazzara. Yeah. Oh, Ben Gazzara is so cool. Man. Yeah. Oh, we heard Whoa. some amazing. I can, I'm a such, are, are you guys John Cassavetes fans? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we heard some amazing stories from Ben. He was telling us about the killing of a Chinese bookie and how, you know, during lunch on the day they're supposed to kill the Chinese bookie. Ben's, and John was like, no, we're not going to kill him. Ben's like, wait, it's in the title. So they had like a two hour lunch to convince him that they had to kill the bookie. But yeah, it was, yeah, those are, that's what makes it all worthwhile is working with some of your, you know, your icons. If you can, I mean, I don't know if that'll ever happen again. Uh, yeah. So we do the last six questions, Liz. All right, I'll get started. So what's the first film you ever made? You could be a producer, director, whatever. It could be short feature, however you want to answer it. And then how do you feel about that film now? Ooh, I'll say The Deli. It was really the second film, but it was a film, a comedy that I made with John Gallagher. And we just had so much fun making it. I'm still very proud of it. It's a total comedy. Feel good. Laugh. Great music. My God, we have two Bowie songs in it, who is a god of mine. I know he is of yours also, Liz, but yeah. So, yeah. So, and that's still a pretty popular film. And it was a film I made with John Gallagher, who we've lost. So that's a special one. What's some great filmmaking advice you've received? Well, so two things come to mind, but I'm going to, the one thing, I guess it's filmmaking advice. So it actually came from my father, who was incredibly supportive. And so I was started in the theater world and he kind of said to me, he's like, you know, Sylvia, if you want this to be more than a hobby or more than a passion, if you want to make a living at it, you you probably need to get into film because theater is really challenging. And then when you get into film, you have to, you have to, you have to think about the bottom line. You know, you have to have a, a plan so that it's not a hobby. And I think that was really important because at a young age, I think I really thought about how do I, you know, get everything I need out of, you know, out of the one thing, you know. So I I would say, I don't know, that's not like a direct, like, you know, the other thing was going to be pre-production. Somebody was like, how told me how important pre-production is. And I live by that, you know. What's the worst filmmaking advice you've ever received? I think it's the worst only because I wouldn't have made any movies was, you know, don't start until you have all your money in the bank, you know, and (laughs) don't don't put any of your own money in. Very smart, but none of us, you know, I don't know about you guys, but I would never have made a movie, any movie. I don't think really literally any movie. If I had lived by by those, I, I'd be, you know, I'd be, you know, an assistant manager at a movie theater, which I did during college. <laughs> Do you have a goal as a filmmaker? I, I think... I want to keep telling stories. I want to, I want to tell stories that make you think, and I don't want to spend years chasing money. So the goal is to be able to tell stories and not spend years, you know, hunting for cash, like being able to, you know, which I think is probably every single filmmaker's goal. Yeah. If you could go back in time, what's one piece of advice that you'd give yourself? Probably. Ooh. I just thought of another one. So I was going to say, don't be so precious. Don't feel like you ha- you need $3 million to direct your first film, but also to learn editing. Like I'm very good with working with an editor and knowing the shots, but I wish I had learned to edit because I would love to be able to to go in and rough out a scene. Not that I, I, I don't believe, and this is me, like I would never want to be, what do they call it now? Like a predator. I hate terms like that, but I would never want to, <laughs> I love that. And and predator, like, yeah, who wants? <laughs> but I love collaboration, but I do think there's a value because I remember during COVID working on my, on follow her, looking at all the clips. I was like, I wish I could just drop them in Avid, you know, throw them down really rough. But I, you know, so I would say, go back, learn, learn a little bit of, of that. There's still time. You still there could is, do this. I know, but it's harder to, 
Can I ask you guys a question? Is that allowed? Yes. I think sure. it's okay. Okay. So you guys each did a movie about traveling to a parallel world. I know. Isn't that weird? And we're no, both no, having no. kids at the same time. Yeah, but yes, please go no, on. No, but, but Liz, <laughs> I think yours came out first. But how did that happen? Did one of you, did you both like pull a name, you know, say we're both going to have, you know, like people no. when you do a, <laughs> do we just friggin' happened? You we just didn't ha- even talk about it. I think I read Ulrich's deck before I made Speed of Life. But I didn't even really see my film as like a time travel sci-fi film. I always thought of it as like a David Bowie movie. And Ulrich is a genre has been a genre director since birth. Right. So <laughs> right, it's like know. came out of the womb. <laughs> but is that your experience of it, Ulrich? I mean, I don't think we ever really considered parallels no. to each other's work at all. Ever. I remember when I watched the rough cut of your movie, and there was a portal, like to the t- like the time portal, and I was like, "Oh, what a cool portal! I love the way you did your portal." I was like, man, I wish I had a thought to do a portal that way. And I, cause I'd already been working on the way that our portal is going to be, but I, I like the way our portal is too, but I was just more like really impressed. And I was kind of like, you know, like Liz, you should have gone harder on this genre. This could have been like a real true genre film and like, not, not like, I mean, I love your, that movie too. It's just very different. Like, I think when, when I watched that, I just thought about like how, how beautiful filmmaking is because every, filmmaker approaches things completely differently like if i had had that idea i would have gone in a completely different direction and liz went in such a different way and it's but it's beautiful and lovely and i just think that like that's the magic right and that's why i feel like no one could ever steal anything from me because like if i had an idea for something someone would take it and do something like that i would never ever dream of and vice versa so i don't really i'm so like not worried about like people stealing ideas because like what makes it special is you not the idea right yeah Yeah. i've always felt that like it would be great to have one script and have three completely different people don't have them even talk about it cast it separately and and you'd have three different they wouldn't even look the same yeah no i like they'd have different tones and everything i know i want to do that someday i really would love to get three 30 minute maybe yeah now i'm like (laughs) new (laughs) 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 question mark (laughs) <laughs> Thank you for asking about that. No one has ever asked, and I've yeah. nev- we've never oh, talked so about curious. it. I was like, I have to, I have to ask. Oh, I can't believe it because I was like, holy shit! Yeah, it's great. No, yeah. Well, you guys are we meant have- to be on this. Maybe. <laughs> I mean, it, yeah. it is weird. It is uh, the birth the thing is stranger to me. The birth thing is yeah. really weird that we're like, you know, my wife's due like whatever a One couple weeks before, before. Yeah. a month. Okay, yeah, geez, that's strange, and we never talked about that either. Wow! Ooh, Basically, <laughs> Liz like announced uh, to me like that what was that she was pregnant, and I was like, "Well, I also have an announcement too." <laughs> oh my gosh, that's crazy! Something's in ether. But we have one final question for you, Sylvia. You can't get away from it. Oh, uh-uh. Not that you were trying to. Is okay. making movies hard? Hell yeah! Oh my gosh! <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, right? We could each talk about too many horror stories, but it is hard. Oh, but you know, I would say it's actually the making of the movie is not what's hard. For me, I would say it's the getting to the plate where you have the money in the bank. Like to me, that's so much harder than the making of the movie is the getting everything that you need to make the movie. That's where the hardest part is. Not that it's not challenging making the movie, Mm -hmm. but to me, the hardest part of making a movie is getting to make the movie. Yeah, it's like a miracle. 
to get to that. It is point. a miracle. That's it why, feels no matter crazy. What, yeah. Any film deserves merit and applause, even if it's not your style or you didn't like it because they made the movie. Yeah. Yeah. When I watch something that I don't like, I just think about all the amount of work right. that went into it. And you're like, it's incredible what they did, you know, and like, I know. Luckily, other people are out there liking a movie that I don't like, and that like not yeah, not everyone. You know, that's why when press when press brutalizes a film, I'm like, especially if it's an, a young, you know, an early filmmaker, you're like, gosh, damn, go make your own. Yeah, <laughs> leave the director alone. I for know. Crying out loud. Made it? At least they made the movie. But anyway, last question: Where should people go if they want to watch your film? If they oh, want to find yeah. more about you, this is follow you on time. social. Really interact with you daily expecting responses immediately from you Ooh. well I ha- now that i force myself to do instagram i'm never on facebook because i'm like i'm not doing both and the one shares to the other so my instagram is my production company's name at dolger d-o-l-g-e-r it's my parents names put together dolger films um twitter i'm on is just my name at sylvia kaminer and i do i i really try to answer messages i'm one of those geeky people that if people say something nice i always put a, a little comment thank you or so i do try to respond to people right now i'm not getting that many (laughs) comments so i can do it and the movie's coming out june 2nd so yeah it's going to be limited theaters not many but it'll be streaming everywhere you know cable plus all the typical you know on demand places and so hopefully people will watch it and enjoy it and and that's it basically yeah since this is the future when people are listening to this the film came out a few days ago and so they should watch it immediately yes watch it now it's available Do you love making movies as hard and you want to listen to more episodes? Jump over to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash MMIH and you can listen to the entire back catalog of episodes for just $1.99 a month. That's an additional 300 episodes that aren't on iTunes that you can listen to whenever you please. But without any more blibber blabber. Back to the show! Alric, what do you remember about our chat with Sylvia? I remember that Sylvia was fascinating, that she had an incredible story about, you know, how she got into film, just like kind of jumping in on sets in New York and, you know, starting as a PA and then quickly working her way up to producing her own movies and doing her own thing. And it's always jumping into whatever production. She, she told some story where she was like, she was like driving by a set in New York and was like, hey, just let me out here. And then she like worked on the set. <laughs> it's like, yeah. wow, pretty amazing. I mean, I kind of did something like that. I, there was a set in my neighborhood when I was, you know, in college. And I went and I like introduced myself to the PAs and I got a PA job. But that sounds, her, her version is much more fun, uh, much more <laughs> exciting. Yeah. And just, you know, just hearing about her, you know, taking the, the, the step into directing and then, you know, the way that this movie came about, I just thought it was really fascinating and amazing and it was just a great conversation. But what about you? What stuck stuck out with you with Sylvia? That she actually listens to our show. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, that's it. I, yeah, that's I mean, I, I actually really, really like Sylvia. I feel like I could like spend like an evening hanging out with her. She's really impressive. She's really cool. But like I always kind of, you know, I end up doing like the pre-interview right before we record with a with a with a guest I do like a quick spiel with them usually and it, it was and I always kind of make like a offhand remark of like we don't expect you to have listened to the show but this is how we lay out our interviews and it's like she knew our show she referenced specific interviews that she had listened to and it was really cool it was really cool because she asked us questions based about ourselves based off of 
episodes that she listened That's to. True. It was like it was. It felt like a a two sided conversation, and it doesn't need to be. These don't need to be two sided. But it was just really yeah. nice that like there could be a slight exchange in the chat with her. So thank you, Sylvia. And I think we should all support Sylvia's work because she seems just like a total, total awesome artist. Ditto. <laughs> it's me still, so I'm going to keep talking. So we have a segment called The Game. And I have a question for Ulrich for The Game. And if you can't hear me, it, I'm saying the word The Game, but I'm just saying it very strangely because it's more fun. So what is The Game? The Game is homespun, hand, handmade by our producer, Eric Toms. And he sets up an indie film quandary that we have to respond to blindly. What would Ulrich do in this scenario, this hypothetical scenario that Eric has doled out to me to say to Ulrich. So Ulrich, are you ready? I am ready. Okay. You're two weeks out from filming a low-budget indie film that you've been brought on to direct. A few weeks before filming, someone comes forward and claims the writer has plagiarized the script. The writer bows out of the project, taking their script with them while they litigate the problem. The actor's crew and equipment are still good to go. And the financier is game to try and shoot something else with the resources you have in place. But you have to maintain your current schedule, meaning you have to start shooting in two weeks and wrap 18 days after the start date. Do you? A. Leave the project because you know that trying to shoot something in the next couple of weeks would be a huge strain on your life. B. Try and find a new script, then rework it in an attempt to make it fit your current resources. C, make an improvised mumblecore film, then attempt to put something together in the edit. D, other. What do you do, director? What do you do? Yeah, you make a movie, man. (laughs) (laughs) You absolutely make a movie. You got to figure it out. I'd probably look into every other script I've ever written or that I've ever been given or read that I liked and see if I can find something that was like flexible into the locations that we had to do you know to spend the two weeks rewriting and making it work to fit like the plan that we already had in place for this other movie or like write something completely new i think writing something completely new is like more crazy and insane i kind of feel like trying to take a script that already exists that you like a story that has some bones to it that are good and then rewriting that to fit the 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 resources and the team so i'd probably take like you know a sci-fi or a horror movie script that i've read that i liked or or some script that i thought was really fun that i had read over the years or something that i had written and then yeah shape it to to fit what we got i think that would be really fun a really fun scary exciting crazy challenge and like to get the actors on board to get everyone on board would be really crazy but i think you definitely have to try and then like you know maybe in order to like simplify and like not have it be too like much for all the cast to take on in such a short amount of time to be like, yeah, we're going to do a whole new movie that you've never even heard of before. Maybe like downplay the dialogue and have add in some improvisation, you know, and kind of like, you know, sort of strip strip it down so they can kind of make it their own, you know, but while fitting the framework of the movie. I think that would be fun and and a challenge that actors would probably be more interested in rather than having to like relearn or learn like a whole bunch of dialogue, you know, in a, a very short amount of time. Although actors are very good at that stuff anyways. They can, they can, they're professionals. They could do it. But like, I'd rather make it something that's like collaborative and fun where like, we're like, okay, well, 
we can't make this movie anymore, but like, here's another script. Like we got a thing. Let's, let's all come together and like, let's figure out how to tell the story and, and do something cool. But what would you do, Liz? Yeah, I think we're getting to, we're like, we we're too close now, Ulrich, because all our answers are the same. <laughs> like, it's like, <laughs> yeah, if, if you have money, you make a movie. Like how rare is that to have a financier who's like, go ahead, make whatever you want. Like, oh my God, dream. And I would make my horror comedy feature best friends forever. I'd be like in this hypothetical scenario, I'm bringing my project that I've been talking about for months into the this theoretical world. And I would say, yeah, I would make the movie that because you're being brought on to direct this original film, right? So yeah. it's like you're a director for hire, but it's like now you could take the opportunity to bring on the project that like you've been sweating and bleeding over and and find a way to make it work. And I agree that like, it's going to be really, really hard for everyone. But I like I like your solution of maybe leaning on improvisation. And I do also acknowledge that it's going to be very hard to figure out a right fit. So it might not be my film. But this is why I attach myself to so many projects, right? Is like, there's got to be something. There's got to be something that I've touched or you've touched or someone's touched that you like a lot that you want to see made that you can adapt. Like there's, it's just too good of an opportunity to, to pass on. Oh yeah, totally. I think of this story, you probably know it. It's, it's from Joe Bob's show and I can't remember the director's name, but there was like, it was this guy who was going to shoot a movie and then they basically like the actors jumped out, everything, everything fell together and he had two weeks and he was like in New York and he was like, okay, yeah, let's just make this movie. And he like called some friends and they went and they made this like crazy, like, uh, it was like a giant dragon. Like, oh, movie. are you thinking of Q the Winged Serpent? Yeah, Q the Winged Serpent. I've yeah. seen Q. That movie's really fun. It's really fun. And they just like slapped it together in no time and just like made this movie in a really short amount of time. And it's really fun. And they shot like the Chrysler building and it's like all this amazing yeah. locations in New York that they shot in. And it's like, I just think of that movie and like, look what they, those guys did. Yeah. Like they did that with like no planning. And it's like a movie that today people still enjoy and find just fun and bizarre and crazy. It's like, fuck, yeah, let's go make a movie. Let's figure it out. Yeah, or I'm not against the mumblecore option for what it's worth. Ugh. But it would be the second choice. I, I'm more pro mumblecore than you are. <laughs> but I, I, yeah. <laughs> I, so I didn't talk about this in my, in my you know, time earlier, which I should have. I, I basically heard from from my producer that one of the reasons why the movie that I it's not the only reason but one of the reasons why it was whole hard for the movie that I was attached to to be sold was because I've only directed one movie mm-hmm. and that's the first I heard that I never they never mentioned that throughout the whole process until just that's the last conversation I had and I was like damn like I killed myself to make a feature film and then the the response from the universe is like yeah that's great uh make another one <laughs> You know, so like this question is like, oh yeah, like of course, any chance to make a movie, and if it had to be a mumblecore movie, if that was the only thing that we could make, I would rather make that than have no movie, just because then I could have two features on my on my IMDb and be like, okay. Speaking on behalf of someone who has two features that they've directed, it doesn't really help that much either. I just want to yeah. say, you need I mean, like five features before yes. anyone gives a shit. It's That's insane. It's yeah. insane. It's crazy. This world we live in is insane. It's like they want to see that like you directed like 
multiple features Star in Wars. order for you to be yeah yeah or just like oh oh they've done five okay well they know what they're doing it's, it's like come on really investors production companies is this really what we're like res, like you know resulting ourselves to now it's like the first short film could get you a feature and now a feature could get you a feature and now it's like oh you need Nothing. five features to get you your next feature selling your <laughs> eggs may get you a feature oh selling my god body body parts i'm just trying to think of like what sacrifices need to be made nothing will get you a feature that's like the thesis of this podcast right nothing will get you no. the feature you have no. to make it you have to figure it out i think that's true and and like all the outliers that we've had on the show where like people have gotten features handed to them or yeah. not not handed to them but like opportunities they were able to capitalize on i should say better that is very rare you know so yeah if you want to make a feature just go make your feature because yeah no one's coming to to, to save you or to make your dreams come true <laughs> you got to do it yourself anyways on that note if you disagree if you uh have another point of view if you think that liz and i got the answer to this question for the game completely wrong you can send us a question, comment, suggestion, or just weigh in at podcast at makingmoviesishard.com. Or if you really like the show, you can leave us a review on iTunes, which would be fantastic. You can also check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at MMIH Podcast and YouTube at Making Movies is Hard Podcast. Don't forget to check out the International Screenwriters Association, the ISA. They're an organization designed to connect writers with filmmakers through a number of programs they offer, including publishing your logline to a network of industry professionals, consultation courses, contests, and of course, their top 25 writers list featuring some of their best writers. So head over to www.networkisa.org to sign up for free today. Thanks to Sylvia Kamenier for coming on the show. Thanks to our editor, Jeff Vrymoot, for doing the editing. Thanks to Robert Jones for handling all of our social media. You are a hero. And thanks to our producer, Eric Toms, for being awesome. Thanks to everyone out there in the world for listening. And we'll talk to you all next week. Finally, ooh, excuse me. Sorry, Jeff, get that out. <laughs> Don't need me burping on the show. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.